Alright, title of this message this morning is God is a Man. I figure this is very appropriate for Father's Day today because I gotta start off with a disclaimer and mention this. We live in a very strange and unique world today. And children, I do want you to listen up, okay? Because the way things are today are not the way they've always been. We live in a very gender-bending society, and a society that is going away from the things of God. Now, we are celebrating Father's Day today, and I figured, what better way to celebrate Father's Day than by teaching a fundamental truth on the character of who God is? I've heard it said once before, there's one what of God and three who's of God, right? Because what is God? God is love. God is kind. He is merciful. He is a man of wrath. He is someone who is judgmental. But he's also three persons. We have the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. So it is very important that we derive who we know God to be from his word. We're going to let the word tell us who God is. We're not going to let the world tell us who God is. And the world out there is confused on who God is. God is a man. Period. End of discussion. Now we're going to see what the Bible clearly teaches, but there is an attack on this fundamental truth. Like I said, children, you need to know more than us who are older and have heard this a lot of our life, but the world out there wants you guys to be confused on this matter. They want you to not know who the creator of the universe really is. Now notice, look down at your Bible, if you would, at verse 26. Like I mentioned when we started this chapter, this is chapter 1, book 1, first thought that God wants his creation to know of him. What is God? Right off the gate, immediately start off, he talks about creation, creating the light, the day, the animal, the stars, the planet, and all these things. So we know in the beginning, before there was a beginning, there was a God. And that God wants us to know this about him. Notice what it says in verse 26. And God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the fowl of the air and over the cattle and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth. And now watch verse 27. So God created man in his own image. Then it has a comma, right? Which means it's not the ending of a thought. We're just moving on. In the image of God created he him, semicolon. So once again, this is an ending of a thought, but the next thought is a continuing statement. Male and female created he them. So in the image of man was God created man in his image. What does it mean to be made in an image? You look like this. If I showed you a picture of my wife, that's not my wife. It's a picture of my wife, right? So we, as men, look like God. If you want to know what God looks like, he looks like a man. Like I mentioned, God is a man. He's masculine. He's the Father. He's the Son. And he is the Holy Ghost. Let us make man in our own image. And we're going to go into the doctrine of the Trinity after this. But I just wanted to lay out this clear teaching. This clear, can't be misunderstood, can't be misinterpreted passage of the Bible, man was made in the image of God. So, did you know, like I started with our announcements, right? We are known as King James only Baptist believers. We believe in a preserved 
infallible, perfect word of God in our English language in the King James Bible. Why? Because God has promised that he would preserve his word throughout all time. So, when there is an attack on the word of God through modern translations of the Bible, they attack this core fundamental doctrine. They're not going after just random miscellaneous things to change because of modern discovery or, or more sophisticated scholarship. They are strategic attacks on fundamental doctrines like who God is. Let me read from you what the NIV says, the New International Version, on this very same passage. It reads, Then God said, Let us make mankind in our image. So notice, it didn't say let us make man in our image. It said let us make mankind in our image. So mankind is all of us. We're all part of mankind, right? So God is not just pictured as a man, but he's pictured as mankind, according to the NIV. In our likeness, so that the, they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock of all the wild animals and over all the creatures that move along the ground. Now, what did they say in verse 27? Because remember what it says in the preserved text, the perfect word of God. It says, let he made him in his image, right? What does it say in the perversion of the Bible? So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God created he them, male and female created he them. So obviously, right off the bat, they're going after the character of God. Because remember what the very first sin in the Bible is, right? Serpent coming to Adam and Eve, specifically Eve, and telling her, Yea, hath God said, did God say this? Is this what God meant when he said X, Y, and Z? Trying to put doubt in the heart of Eve. The world out there is trying to put doubt in your heart of who God is. Now, this is not unique to just these translations. There are different Christian groups and denominations who believe man and woman were made in the image of God. The seven-day Adventists believe this. They believe women are also made in the image of God. Not only that, there is a group of people known as CBE. This is a group of people who are trying to remake a new translation of the Bible to make it gender neutral. Now, like I mentioned earlier, there is a gender-bending society out there. More than you know, there is an attack on the institution of man and woman. Because remember, it says he made man and woman, period. He didn't make 70 other genders. He didn't make LGBTQRX74, whatever alphabet gang you want to quote. He didn't make all these genders. He made man and woman. And I made a joke, or I've heard this joke growing up, and uh, I thought it was good. Why did... Or what did, why did Adam call Eve what he called her? Because when she was created, he looked over and he's all, whoa, man. Woman, I know, it's a, it's a bad joke. But anyways, that's what the joke was. And basically, this group of people are trying to create translations of the Bible to leave God gender neutral or specifically, in some cases, female. Let me read from you what they want their, their mission statement is to the world. So it says... This is from the president of this organization. In every corner of the world, religious teachers on gender and power have an enormous impact on human lives, especially those of girls and women. For this reason, Christians have a responsibility to accurately, critically uh, critique biblical teachings on gender. 
standing on biblical scholarship of evangelicals like A.J. Jordan, Kathleen Booth, Frederick Franson, Sojourner Truth, which is an organization, and Amanda Barry Smith, Christians for Biblical Equality, or CBE, explores the biblical view that males and females are created with equal dignity. Pause. That's a true statement. I'm not here to bash on women. I'm not here to tell you women are less important, less respond, or like not as good as a man. Men and women are equal in value. I'm not more valuable than any lady in this room, but we have different role and function. We have difference in what God expects from us. But let's go on and read what it says. Because every lie has a bit of truth mixed in with it, right? So they go off right off the bat trying to challenge people who would prove through what God has proven that he's a man, that that's an attack on women and femininity. But that's a lie from the pit of hell. It says that males and females are created with equal dignity for uh, for the purpose of sharing authority. And then it quotes this passage. CBE provides resources that equip all Christians to fan into the flame the gifts within them, regardless of gender. In Christ who is faithful, Mimi Haydad, PhD, President, CBE International. What's really lame is, obviously when I was doing research for this subject, I had to see who these people were and what they believed and why they believe what they believe. But Mimi was my great-grandmother's name. So when I found that out, I got really upset. I was like, damn, like, I loved my Mimi. And I know if she read this, she'd be turning in her grave. So who we are, they want us to know who they are as an institution. Christians for Biblical Equality, CBE, is a nonprofit organization of Christian men and women who believe that the Bible properly interpreted teaches the fundamental equality of men and women of all ethnic groups. Pause. Why did we just bring ethnicity into this? I thought it was just men and women we're talking about. Now it's and ethnic groups. But not, that's what I'm saying. The Bible doesn't teach racism. The Bible teaches that all people are of the same blood. That's why we understand that racism is illegitimate. And when people and Christians use that as their instrument to, to, to enslave people in the past, they're misquoting the Bible. Kind of like they're doing with this gender equality thing. And it goes on to read, all economic classes and all age groups based on the teachings of scriptures, such as Galatians 3.28, there is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there man, male or female, for you are all one in Christ. And that's a true statement, and we'll address it in a moment. Their mission. CBE exists to promote biblical justice and community by educating Christians that the Bible calls women and men to what? Share authority, equality, and service and leadership in the home, church, and world. Now, let's take that claim to what the Bible teaches us. Turn, if you would, to 1 Corinthians chapter 11. Because they're claiming to be biblical experts. They're claiming to say that the word of God teaches us. They're claiming to say that this is thus saith the Lord. God wants us to know these things, right? Okay, let's put it to the fire. Let's see if God has created man and women equal in authority. Once again, we are equal in value. I'm not more valuable than any lady in here. No lady is more valuable than any man in here. But we have a different function. Now, while you turn there, let me go on to finish their little belief system their statement of faith we believe in one god creator and sustainer of the universe eternal existing as three persons equal in power and glory 
And I'm just going to go down for the sake of time, but it says in there, once again, like what they want from their ministry. We believe that men or women and men are equally created in God's image and given equal authority and stewardships of God creation. They keep pushing this equal equality, equality, equality. The world, the feminazis out there are going out trying to push equality, equality. Look, God wants us to know that when it comes to a home of family, it's not equal in authority. It is equal in value, but not in position. Think about it like this. If I go to my employer and I say, whoa, you can't lord over me. You're not in charge. We're equal in what the business can do. If you want to go left and I want to go right, you're not more right than me, even though he is the owner of the business. It is stupid to think that I could challenge his authority. So look down at your Bible, if you would, at 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 1. Like I said, what does it matter what I think? What does it matter what CBE thinks? What does it matter what a statement of faith of some radical group of people trying to gender neutralize God? What does the word of God clearly teach? We just saw in Genesis 1, right off the bat, that man was created in the image of God. But notice what it says in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 1. Be followers of me, even as I also am of Christ. Now I praise you, brethren, that ye remember me in all things and keep the ordinances as I delivered them to you. But I would have you know, so whatever comes next, he really wants this point to be pushed. But I would have you know that the head of every man is Christ. Who is in charge of this church? Jesus Christ. I, David, am not the boss. Pastor Thompson is not the boss. Jesus Christ is the head, the boss of his church. We, Pastor Thompson and I, work for him. What does it go on to say? The head of every man is Christ, and the head of the woman is the man. Who is the boss of women? Their husbands or their fathers? And it goes on to read, and the head of Christ is God. Back to the Trinity, which we'll address in just a moment. Because it's important. There's an authority structure built within the system of who God is. But it goes on to read. Every man praying or prophesying, having his head covered, dishonoreth his head. But every woman that prayeth or prophesieth with her head uncovered, dishonoreth her head. For... That is even all one as if she were shaven. Pause there really quick. What does this mean, having your head uncovered? The Bible is teaching clearly that if I look like God as a man, I need to mimic, parrot, emulate in my life what he looks like. And he's saying, if your head is covered, meaning if you have long hair, this is a disgrace. And why is it that Roman Catholics and people who are Protestants, when they think of an image of Jesus Christ, think of some long-haired hippie? Because the Bible says that if a man did this, this is a dishonor to his head. So if Jesus Christ is under the Father and I'm under Jesus, obviously he never had long hair. Why? Because that is a feminine attribute. Well, I don't believe you. Really? Because it just said, every woman that prayeth or prophesieth with her head uncovered dishonoreth her head for that is even all one as if she were what shaven so when women cut their hairs right short like a man then this is bringing dishonor to god why because you a lady are trying to look like god men and women are supposed to look different don't believe me what does the bible say in deuteronomy chapter 22 20 22 
verse 5, it says, The woman shall not wear that which pertaineth unto a man. Neither shall a man put on a woman's garment, for all, some, all that do so are abomination unto the Lord thy God. A woman must not wear men's clothing. This is what the NIV says. So the Bible taught us clearly. The preserved text, what has stood the test of time, what has always been around, says women don't put on that which pertains to a man. So what pertains to men? I'm going to give you a list of articles of clothing. And let's see what pertains to either a man or a woman. So we have on one side a t-shirt. Where does this go? The woman's side or the man's side? You kids can answer if you think you know the answer. Can a man wear a shirt? Yeah, a man can wear a shirt, right? Can a lady wear a shirt? Of course, women wear shirts. What if I told you a jacket, right? Can a lady wear a jacket? Of course, a lady can wear a jacket. Can a man wear a jacket? Yes. What if I said a hat? Can a lady wear a hat? Of course, a lady can wear a hat. It's hot outside and she wants to cover herself from getting sunburned. My mother taught me a long time ago to stay out of the heat from 10 to 2 and cover yourself because I am very Caucasian and the sun does not agree with my skin that much. So basically, I got to cover myself and all my sisters did at the same time. But a man can wear a hat, right? We're out roofing. Look, you look at roofers, they wear hats, okay? What about shoes? Can a lady wear a shoe? Yes, ladies wear shoes. Do men wear shoes? Yes. Socks. Women wear socks. Men wear socks. Okay, what about a dress? Can a man wear a dress? No. This does not pertain to men. Women can wear a dress. Women can wear a skirt. Can men wear a skirt? No. That is for a lady. Well, let me ask you this. What about pants? Can a man wear a pair of pants? Yes. It's actually commanded in the Bible of the Levitical priests to put on breeches or shorts, which are pants. So then that means what pertains to a man that does not pertain to a woman? Pants. Women are not supposed to be wearing pants. And men are not supposed to be wearing dresses. God is trying to show us that there is a difference between men and women, how they are to appear. And if you go out into the world today, and look, I know I've experienced this. I'm sure some of you have experienced this, where you walk around and you look at someone and you don't even know whether they're a man or a woman. Because it says simply right there, that which pertains to a man, neither shall a man put on a woman's garment. For all that do so are abomination unto the Lord. Look, I'm not here to come down your throats, but the rest of the world is not teaching you this. The rest of the world is saying, don't worry about it. It doesn't really matter. God doesn't care. And it's a lie from the pit of hell. God cares. God taught us how we are to dress, how we are to look. And it does matter how you look. Some people are like, ah, it doesn't matter how you look. Now, obviously, not every man needs a dress like I, and I don't need a dress like every guy. And every lady doesn't need to dress the same. But there needs to be a distinct difference between men and women. The NIFV tacks this same doctrine. It says, in the same verse, in the NIV, a woman must not wear men's clothing, nor a man wear women's clothing. So basically, let me ask you this. Aren't there ladies out there who wear men's pants? Now, let's say there are skinny jeans. This is where the skinny jean movement came from. There are some weird skaters. Mind you, I was a skater, by the way. Weird gothic skater guys who wanted to wear women's pants, which were skinny jeans. Men do not wear skinny jeans. For crying out loud, just put on normal pants that fit. And don't have your pants sag halfway down your butt with 
basically holding on to nothing. The Bible says, gird up your loins like a man. It means to pull your pants up and put on a belt. And I've taught people in my workplace this, you know. I'm one of the only, um, take that back, I am the only guy that tucks my shirt in on the job. And some people are like, why do you do that? Because the Bible said to gird up my loins as a man does. Boys, <laughs> there comes a time in every man's life where you just, for some reason, start tucking it in because you've become a man. It's okay if you're not tucking your shirt in as kids and you're just out and, you know, you need loose fabric to play. And the same thing is if, as men, if we're going to go play sports, it's fine to not tuck your shirt in. But my basketball coach did teach me to tuck my shirt in while playing basketball. That's another discussion for another time. What are we talking about? How does a man... He's not a woman. He doesn't look like a woman. He doesn't want people to think he looks like a woman. He wants people to know he's a man. He's masculine. The rest of the world is attacking this doctrine. They're attacking the word of God. They're challenging his gender. They're challenging who he is. And don't, don't make no bones about it. They're deceiving the world. There are, I don't need to tell you. If you look outside, there is a twisting a sickening of mankind there's a downward spiral that is occurring in our day this is why i want you kids to listen because i doubt you're hearing this push this severely i'm sure your dads your grandpas your uncles your brothers are telling you to man up act like a man be a man but is your teacher is your coach is your pastor telling you these things you need to be reaffirmed on these truths because the bible wants you to know these things kids so we understand God wants there to be a difference. But look, there is truly no new thing under the sun, right? Because there has always been a worshiping of women, a woman worshiping religion. Turn, if you would, to Jeremiah chapter 44. This isn't new to today. This isn't, like I said, the feminazis out there are out trying to attack what it means to be a woman. Why do you women have to act like a man to be considered legitimate? I'm truly defending true femininity. The Bible wants you women to act like a lady. And that's a blessing. It's not less important. It's not less valuable. It's as important, if not in ways more important. Because our children need to be raised by a mother. They need to be nurtured. We need to show the distinct line in the sand of what is a man, what he does, and what is a woman, and what she does. But Today, the feminazis out there are saying, you women need to act like men, put on pants, go to work, be self-made to be considered valuable. That is ridiculous. Look, they are time and time again not praising stay-at-home moms, stay-at-home wives, women who are doing their true role, what the Bible says, living a meek and quiet spirit and guiding the house and guiding their children and loving their husbands and doing what is asked of them to do. Because Paul mentions this in his epistle. He says, I would that the women marry, bear children, and guide the house. That's a blessing for you ladies. So if you see some self-made woman going out there, pushing an agenda to have you ladies be self-made. And look, there is truly the exception that proves the rule. There are ladies who have been dealt a bad hand in life and their husbands left them or their fathers died. And there are situations in which ladies need to take care for themselves because if not, they're going to be left destitute. But elsewhere in the Bible, it talks about people who are widows or people who have been abandoned that they need to be cared for by the church. It's our responsibility to look after our men, women, boys, and girls. But like I said, there's no... New thing under the sun. The worshiping of women has gone back all the way to Jeremiah chapter 44. Look, if you would, at verse 15. 
and you don't believe me? Think about the whole entire religion of the Roman Catholics out there. They're worshipping Mary. Yes, they are worshipping her. They call her the Mediatrix. You women need to go to Mary to get to the Father. Jesus said that he is the only way, the only truth, and the only life. And no man or woman will go unto the Father but by him. Period. There is one man that is the mediator between God and men. The man, Christ Jesus. You women want to speak to your Father in heaven? You go through the Father through Jesus Christ, the Son of God. So you need to realize that when you have your Catholic friends out there or people who profess the religion of Catholicism, worshiping that idol of a lady that they call Mary, you need to sharply rebuke that and have nothing to do with that. And look, I came from Arizona, and there's a huge Catholic demographic in Arizona. And I could go soul winning from door to door and see Mary shrines everywhere, worshiping of Mary. So we need to make sure that this never creeps itself into the true church. Notice what it says in Jeremiah chapter 44, verse 15. It reads, Then all the men which knew that their wives had burned incense unto other gods, and all the women that stood by a great multitude, even all the people that dwell in the land of Egypt in Pathros, answered to Jeremiah, saying, as for the word that thou hast spoken unto us, in the name of the Lord, we will not hearken unto thee. Pause. So these people are challenging Jeremiah right now. The prophet sent from God to be a spokesman of him to the whole nation and to everyone. And he's saying, what your women are doing is bad, wrong, it is not good. But it goes on to say in verse 16, as for the word that thou hast spoken unto us, in the name of the Lord we will not hearken unto thee, but we will certainly do whatsoever thing goeth forth out of our own mouths, to burn incense unto the who? Queen of heaven, and to pour out drink offerings unto her, as we have done, we and our fathers, our kings, and our princes, in the cities of Judah, and in the streets of Jerusalem. For then had we plenty of victuals, and were well, and saw no evil. So these people are saying, these ladies went and made incense unto the Queen of Heaven. What do Catholics call Mary? They call her the Mother of God. Is that true? No. She's not the Mother of God. She was the Mother of Jesus Christ. That's true in every sense of the word. She mothered him. She gave birth to him. But Jesus Christ pre-existed Mary. He was before Mary. He says, before Abraham was, I am. Referring to his eternal existence. Mary came from Jesus. And I know this is a paradox. And I know this is completely hard to understand. But truly, Mary is not the mother of God. She is the mother of Jesus Christ. And that's important to know. Because Catholics went right past that and never understood it. But not only that, to prove even further my point. There's some nine mentions of Mary in the Bible. That's not a lot of mentions of Mary. There are mentions of characters that none of us even know that are mentioned often more than her. So Mary, the mother of Jesus, was not mentioned a lot. But of those nine times, I think four of them are negative references to her. Meaning that she was being corrected. She was being told she's wrong. She was told of she needed to learn more. And here's one example of what I'm talking about. It says in Luke 11:27, you don't need to turn there. It just simply says, and it came to pass 
As he spake these things, a certain woman of the company lifted up her voice and said unto him, Blessed is the womb that thou bear that bare thee, and the paps which thou hast sucked. But he, Jesus, said, Yea, rather, blessed are they that hear the word of God and keep it. So this lady comes and gives Mary praise, which, mind you, I'm not saying Mary was a bad lady. I'm not saying she was like a insignificant person. She's obviously very significant. She obviously was a great godly woman. That's why God chose her to be the mother of Jesus. But when this lady comes to give Mary praise, Jesus looks at that lady and says, Yea, rather, blessed is the man that heareth the word of God and doeth it. She's blessed, but you will be more blessed than Mary if you listen to the words of God and keep it. Elsewhere in the Bible, remember, Mary and Jesus Christ's half-siblings come to him and they want to get a VIP treatment to his preaching. And the people, the disciples go up to Jesus and say, Hey, your mother and brethren, they're without. They'd like to come and see you. What does he say? Who is my mother and who are my brethren but these that do the will of my Father which is in heaven? So he's basically undermining his even biological mother. Of course, Jesus loved his mother. Of course, Jesus honored his mother. The Bible says in the commandments, honor your father and mother in the Lord, for this is the first commandment with promise. And Jesus was tempted in all points like as we are, yet without sin. So obviously he respected and honored and, re and reverenced his mother. But he did not give her over worship. He did not give her over praise because that would lift her up in pride and then a whole religion would be created around this subject of worshiping this lady called the Roman Catholic Church. So, we get it, David. God is a man. We get it, David. We, we stick with the preserved text that teaches us that God is a man. We won't go with false versions of the Bible that try to make things gender neutral. We won't go to Seventh-day Adventist churches that believe this or other non-denom evangelical types of churches because they're twisting things. But... We know people have worshipped women in the past, and we're not going to do that today. So what's the problem? Well, here's the problem. Look outside. Look at the world. Look at the degeneracy that's going on. Look at all the confusion that is going on. The Bible says God is not the author of confusion. This confusion that's going on in the world, gender euphoria, people who are challenging their own gender are committing suicide. There are kids that are not even realizing that if they're a boy or a girl, the Bible made very clearly God made it, you know, man in his image and he created male and female. So that's it. Like you have to be happy in your own skin. And once again, this sermon is not an attack on you ladies. And as a matter of fact, if you understand the truth of the Bible, you'd be in your heart saying amen as much as any man in here would. Why? Because you'd want your daughters to know this truth. You'd want your kids to know this truth so that they don't get deceived like the rest of the world is. But let's go into the Trinity, because we get it. God is a man. He's also three persons. So, look down, If I turn if you would to John 14. And I'm going to specifically speak about the Holy Spirit, because I think we get that the Father is a man. I think we get that the Son is a man. But what about the Holy Spirit? That's a unique term, right? It's not like, I, you don't like go up to people and call them like spirit. You know, hey, spirit, how's it going? You know, it's like, the Holy Spirit is a unique name. It's a title given to this person of the Godhead. And mind you, it is a person. He has been given the name of a man. Now notice what it looks, look down if you would, at John 14, verse one. Let's just start from verse one. Let not your heart be troubled, 
Ye believe in God, believe also in me. And if you have a red letter edition Bible, this is the words of Jesus Christ. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there ye may be also. And whither I go, ye know, and the way ye know. Thomas saith unto him, Lord, we know not whither thou goest, and how can we know the way? Jesus saith unto him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. If ye had known me, ye should know my Father also. And from henceforth ye know him, and have seen him. Philip saith unto him, Lord, showeth the Father, and it sufficeth the us. Jesus saith unto him, Have I been so long with or time with you? And yet hast thou not known me, Philip? He that hath seen me hath seen the Father. How sayest thou then, show us the Father? Pause there really quickly. Notice the disciples are asking Jesus, show us God. Show us the Father clearly. Let us see him. And he's looking at him. He's like, you've seen me. How is it that you don't know who the Father is? Because when you look at Jesus, the Son, what do you see? A man. Now, some have twisted this passage into thinking that there is only but one person in the Godhead, and this is a false doctrine known as modalism or oneness Pentecostalism. It's also an ancient heresy known as Sabellianism. And they're trying to say that, well, if I saw you, then I saw your father, therefore you are the father. No, that is not what this passage is teaching. I mean, if I were to say to Ezra, I wanted to see your dad, and your dad said, and you said to me, well, if you've seen me, you've seen my dad, because you guys look alike. You guys look similarly. We had twins in the church I was at in the past, and we all know those sets of twins, right? Let's say you had a twin group like John and Jesse, right? And if I said, I want to know what Jesse looks like, it's like, well, you've seen John. You've basically seen Jesse. They look similar. They look alike. That's what this passage is clearly teaching. How do you know? How do you know they're not just one person? Let's go on read. Notice what it says. In verse 10, believest thou not that I am in the Father and the Father in me? So Jesus Christ is in the Father. The Father is in Jesus Christ. They are not one and the same. They are the same in light of their divinity. They are the same in light of they are both God, but they are separate people. It says in 10, believest thou not that I am in the Father and the Father in me? The words that I speak unto you, I speak not of myself, so once again, we have a singular pronoun, myself, right? So there's a secondary pronoun, which would be his, her, or its self. So it says myself, but the father that dwelleth in me, he doeth the works. Believe me that I am in the father and the father in me, or else believe me for the very works sake. Verily, verily, which just simply means truly, truly. Verily, verily, I say unto you, he that believeth on me the works that I do, shall he do also in greater works than these, shall he do, because I go unto my Father. And whatsoever ye shall ask in my name, that will I do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If ye shall ask anything in my name, I will do it. If ye love me, keep my commandments. And I pray the Father, and he shall give you another comforter, that he may abide with you forever. Pause. So now we just got introduced to a third person, right? This person's known as another, the comforter, right? So we have the father sending the son, and they are going to send a comforter. Well, who is this comforter? Because he's another. Another in what? Person. 
He's not another God. He's the same God. But let's go on and read. In verse 16, And I pray the Father, and he shall give you another comforter, that he may abide with you forever, even the Spirit of truth. So this comforter is called the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it seeth him not, neither knoweth him. But ye know him, for he dwelleth with you and shall be in you. I will not leave you comfortless. I will come to you. Yet a little while, and the world seeth me no more. But ye see me, because I live. Ye shall live also. At that day ye shall know that I am in my Father, and ye in me, and I in you. He that hath my commandments, and keepeth them, he it is that loveth me. And he that loveth me shall be loved of my father and I will love him and will manifest myself to him. Now, this is one of the disciples asking him a question. Judas saith unto him, not Iscariot, Lord, how is it that thou wilt manifest thyself unto us and not unto the world? Jesus answered and said unto him, If a man love me, he will keep my words. And my father will love him and we, that's a pronoun, that's a, that's a plural pronoun, we will come unto him and make our abode with him. Huh. Remember earlier in Genesis 1, it says, let us make man in our image. So we know for sure these two are masculine men, father, son. Okay, let's keep going. He that loveth me, not keepeth not my sayings. And the word which ye hear is not mine, but the father which sent me. These things have I spoken unto you, being yet present with you. But the comforter, okay, there's that person again. Who is the Holy Ghost? Okay, that's what we're speaking about. The third person of the Godhead. Whom the Father will send in my name. He. One more time. He shall teach you all things and bring all things to your remembrance. Whatsoever I have said unto you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give unto you. Not as the world giveth give I unto you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. Okay, so you saw one he, David. That doesn't necessarily mean he's a man. Let's keep going. Yet have yet yet ye have heard how I said unto you, I go away and come again unto you. If ye love me, you would ye would rejoice, because I said I go unto my father, for my father is greater than I. And now I have told you before, it came to pass that when it is come to pass, ye might believe. Hereafter I will not talk much with you, for the price of this world come I'm sorry the prince of this world cometh and hath nothing in me but that the world may know that I love the father as the father gave me commandment even so I do arise let us go hence so this person the comforter is called a he now this is important because like I said we understand that God is three people father son holy ghost father's obviously a man the son's obviously a man he the comforter he the holy ghost is a man but did you know there's an attack on the character of God through the doctrine of the Trinity? Now, Satan is known as the great counterfeiter. What do I mean by this? Notice in the Bible, in Isaiah chapter 14, it talks about what Satan wants to do. He wants to deceive the world. He talks about how I will be exalted under the throne of heaven. I will be praised as the most high. And I, I, me, me. He constantly wants to get the praise that God deserves, right? So Satan, I mean, think about a counterfeit dollar. It has to look like a dollar. It can't not look like the real thing because then no one would be convinced of it, right? Counterfeit money looks like real money. 
Now they don't look exactly like real money. They look very closely to the real thing. I can't go up to the store with a Monopoly dollar and try to get anything. They're just gonna laugh at my face and kick me out, right? But there are people who have counterfeit money that looks very similar to the real money. But there's always something different about it. Something small, something insignificant. And when it comes to the doctrine of the Trinity, throughout history, there has been an attack on who God is from the Gnostics, a group of people who are basically Satan worshipers. And they have sowed their seeds throughout history, throughout all religions, because Gnosticism basically teaches that all roads will lead to the same path. We're all worshiping the same God in different ways and in different forms. So you may call him this, you may call him this, but it's the same God. Well, is that what the Bible says? The Bible says there's but one God and there are lots that be called God. So if there's a group of people that call themselves God, but there's a true God, how do we know the difference? Well, we have the word of God to tell us who God is, right? Now, what do you mean by this? Lots of religions today that came from the past have always taught this. This is why it's important for preachers, evangelists, missionaries, and deacons to make sure we separate and segregate ourselves from false religion and false prophets because we don't want everyone thinking that all roads lead to the same path. What did Jesus say when the disciples asked him, are there few that be saved? He says, wide is the gate and broad is the way that leadeth to destruction and very many go therein at because straight is the gate and narrow is the way to peace and everlasting life few be there that find it and this verse earlier we saw he says i am the way that a way definite article the word the means only this the way the truth and the life no man goes unto the father but by him so he's immediately made it only through one specific way can we truly worship the God of the universe through our Lord Jesus Christ, who is God manifested in the flesh. Now, Jewish religion does not teach that there is a trinity. They don't believe in a trinity. They believe in a messianic figure, but they don't believe Jesus was the Messiah. They believe in an antichrist to come or an anti-Messiah that will come. And when they try to make sense of the trinity, they believe with the character of the person of the Holy Ghost to be what's called a Shekinah glory. Raise your hand if you heard of the Shekinah glory. So basically, on Wikipedia, because that's my where I get my news. I mean, uh, some people don't like Wikipedia, but hey, take it up with them if you don't like what I have to read. Teaches what they believe about the Shekinah glory. And it simply teaches the English translation of a Hebrew word meaning dwelling or settling and denotes the dwelling or settling of a divine presence of God. This term does not occur in the Bible. I'm going to start there. This word, Shekinah, Shekinah, in Hebrew, is not found in the Hebrew Old Testament at all. So this is what the Jewish people believe. And is a rabbinic literature. In classic Jewish thought, the Shekinah reference to a dwelling or settling in a special sense a dwelling or settling of divine presence to the effect that while in proximity to the Shekinah, the connection to God is more readily perceived. In some sources, Shekinah represents the feminine attribute of the presence of God, Shekinah being a feminine word in Hebrew based especially on the readings of the Talmud. 
the Talmud is the Jewish Bible, basically. Because some people think that, well, the Jews, they just believe the Old Testament, but not the New Testament. That's not, not true. They believe in the teachings for the commandments, the doctrines of men. This is why when Jesus came to his own and his own received him not, he says, you can't hear my words because you're not of God. You call yourself Jews. You call yourself the children of Abraham. Yet here you are trying to kill the Messiah. And he's telling him the, the, the truth. And this word, Shekinah, doesn't even come from the Hebrew Old Testament. The rabbis decided to make this term and decided to make a feminine attribute to God. So back to what I was saying, the attack on the doctrine of the Trinity. Throughout the past, there has always been a Trinity type of religion around in other parts of the world. The Jews worshipped one. We saw it in Jeremiah 44. Remember, these are the Jewish people, the people of Judah. And he says, we're worshipping the Queen of Heaven. And Jeremiah's like, there is no Queen of Heaven. There's one Lord, Father of all, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. And they believe, the Jewish people, that the Holy Ghost is a female attribute of God. And that is just not true. Well, how do you know? Number one, it's not found in the Bible. Number two, it's coming from a lying antichrist group of people who deny the Son. If you don't have the Son, you don't have the Father. But it's not just unique to the Jewish religion. There's a documentary out there. It's called Zeitgeist. Raise your hand if you've ever seen the documentary Zeitgeist. Good. Don't watch it. It's a stupid documentary anyways. It's basically uh, uh, a Gnostic documentary trying to teach that all paths lead to the same road. All religions came from an original source and they separated, but they're coming back. It, you know, they, they started at the same, separated, and they're all coming back eventually. And that's Gnostic philosophy and teaching. But in this documentary, I'm just going to read you the, the highlights of the whole documentary, claims that the Christian religion is mainly derived from other religions, astronomical uh, assertions, astrological myths, and other traditions in furtherance of the Jesus myth uh, hypothesis. This film disputes the historical, the historicity of Jesus, who, is, who it claims is a literary and astrological hybrid. So basically they're saying that the story, the person, the man, Christ Jesus, was just a fake. People just made this story up. And look, it's not just unique to these people. There's lots of people who don't think that the Bible's real, that it's fake. It's not historically accurate. The Bible has been time, proven time, time again of its, of its historic accuracy. For crying out loud, I think it was the, um, the um, Hivites, the Jebusites, Archites. I think it was the Archite people group. Historians have always thought we're not even real. They're like, ah, these people aren't even real people. They're made up. But then, oh, would you look at that? We went and dug up in the dirt and found the Archite people. And they were in the Bible the whole time. So they should have just read their Bible and believed it. Because they have always been there. But they were drowned out in history. So this documentary tries to show parallels with other religions. One of which is the Egyptian religion. The Egyptian religion has a form of the Trinity. Through... Osiris, Isis, and Horus. So Osiris would be what they liken under the father. Isis is what they refer to as the mother. And then Horus would be likened unto the son. See? Father, Holy Ghost, son. So father, woman, child. Eh? Eh? See? Kind of looks the same. Must be the same. No. Hinduism teaches another similar thing. They have what they call Brahma, Vishnu, and Shiva. So Brahma would be like the father, Shiva would be like the mother, and then Vishnu is like the son. Ah, huh? father, son, Holy Ghost, see, eh, similar? No. And the last one, which kind of 
hits home for me, and it should for you as well, is the Hawaiian Polynesian language or religion does the exact same thing. See, David Kalakaua was the one of the monarchs of Hawaii. He was one of the kings of Hawaii. And he wrote a book about Hawaiian myths and legends. And in his book, he tries to draw a parallel with the Christian God and the pagan gods of Hawaii. And he tries to say that you have Ku, Kane, and Lono. So Ku would represent the father. You know, Kane represents Jesus because it's the word for man is Kane. And then you have Lono, which would be like the fertility god, a god of fertility, which in Hawaiian culture is a masculine figure. He's not a female, but fertility is always painted as, as a feminine thing in the rest of the world. So like I was saying, other religions are going to try to put themselves in the camp of Christianity. Oh, we're all worshiping the same thing, just slightly different. You say Holy Ghost, we say Shiva, you say the Comforter, we say Lono, you say, you know, the Holy Ghost, we say Isis. It's all the same thing. We say Shekinah, you say Holy Ghost. What are we arguing? We're arguing about who God is. God is a man. God is masculine. God the Father is our Lord and Savior. So kids, listen up. Let me ask you something. When you do something bad, right? Who are you more afraid to see, your mom or your dad? I know when I was growing up, I was afraid to see my stepdad. I didn't have my real dad growing up, but I had my stepdad. And let me say this. When my stepdad was coming home, I was not looking forward to getting disciplined. Well, why would you get disciplined? Because the Bible says we need to be disciplined for our wrongdoings. The Bible says whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth and scourges every son whom he receiveth. And look, women, it is your responsibility too to discipline your children. But you know the saying, wait till your father gets home. He's going to crack your rear end. You're going to get dirty lickings. Because there comes a time in our lives, and I know I remember this in my life, when I was getting spanked, it didn't hurt from my mom anymore. It stopped hurting. It's like, oh, ow, it hurts. But then, you know, your dad's come home, and you're like, oh, shoot, I can't fake this. It's going to hurt. And basically, he does this because he loves us. He's not doing this because he's trying to be mean and rude and arrogant. Whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth. And this is what I want us to know. This is the final conclusion of this sermon. If God is a man, then we need to love as men love. There's a difference between female love and men love, right? I love my stepdad. I love my brother. I love my sister. I love my wife. Ladies, you love your dads. You love your mothers. You love your sisters. You love your aunts, your uncles, and all these things. There is a difference between a feminine love and a masculine love. Men love differently than ladies love. Ladies are softer, they're, and that's good. That's not a bad thing. Don't let anyone tell you that being soft is bad. Softer, they're more nurturing. They're more understanding in ways. They're a lot more um, just nurturing in that sense. Men, we are rough and gruff and direct and very specific on things, right? So if God the Father, the Son, Jesus Christ, and the Holy Ghost show us what love is, we need to emulate that love to others. Because what is the two greatest commandments? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. So I will know how to love my neighbor as myself once I know how to love God. When I learn how to love God, 
because God first loved me and that while I was yet a sinner, Christ died for me. Sacrificial love, love that, you know, men are known as providers. The Bible says if a man knows not how to take care of his own house, how shall he be, you know, take care of the house of God? We need to take care of our families. We are providers. We are protectors. We are always looking out for our own. It's not to say ladies don't do that, but ladies should depend on their husbands and fathers to protect them when the stuff hits the fan. When things get crazy, it is our responsibility, men, to stand up and man up. Quit you like men and man up. The world is attacking masculinity. Let's not be ashamed of that. We're men. I was supposed to hear an amen, but never mind. We are men, and let's be proud of being men. Ladies, be proud of being ladies. Don't let some other lady say that the only way you can see, you know, accomplishment is if you act like a man, look like a man, talk like a man. No, act like a lady. And that's a great honor to the Lord Jesus Christ. He will look down from heaven and be pleased with you. But men, understand this. It is a sin to act feminine. Turn if you would, actually, really quickly. I'll leave you on this last note. 1 Corinthians chapter 6. You don't believe me? Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 6. No. Acting ladylike isn't a sin. I'm just trying to be soft. I'm just trying to be understanding. That's not what God says. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 9. Know ye not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God? So whatever comes next is considered unrighteous. Be not deceived, neither fornicator, nor idolater, nor adulterers, what's this next one? Nor effeminate, nor abusers of themselves with mankind, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners, shall inherit the kingdom of God. Effeminacy is a sin. If you are a man, act like a man. Don't walk around prancing around like a chick, wearing skinny jeans, growing your hair out long, and looking like a girl. Because that, in the sight of God, is an abomination. For crying out loud, if we're going to have to... If we saw a tranny walking down the road in a dress, we'd all be horrified, wouldn't we? And that's right. That's a natural good feeling to have. There's no temptation taking you, but such as is common to man. It is not common that men walk around looking, acting like a lady. Now, yes, there are men that kind of are softer, but it, once again, there's a difference between being soft and feminine. I will one day preach a sermon on the subject of gentlemen, being a gentleman. You can be polite and be masculine at the same time. You know, like I said, that's another sermon for another time. But what's the title of this message? God is a man. Fathers, happy Father's Day. Be proud to be a man. Don't let someone shame you and your patriarchy and all this crap that the world's spewing. You know, ladies, love your husbands. Love your fathers. Reverence them today. I mean, for crying out loud, there's 365 days in a year. We can give our dads... And our husbands, well, it's Father's Day, so give your dads glory. I hope you all called your fathers today. I know you guys have your father here with you. But I hope you called your grandpa, uncles, fathers. Reverence them. Tell them how great they are and let them know the importance of their role as men because they represent God on earth. Authority, power, judgment, mercy, love. Loving is a part of it. So let's not forget the importance of masculinity and understand that God truly is a man. Let's bow our heads and have a word of prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this day. Thank you so much for your word and thank you so much for telling us about who you are, how you want us to perceive you, and help us to grow in your word and to 
understand the importance of what we've all been given in whatever state we're in to therein be content. Help us today, help all the fathers out, everyone have a relaxing, decompressing day, kids and wives and ladies and mothers, look out, massage their feet, take care of them, just look out for them. And then for every other day of the year, fathers will take care of their family. And all this, uh, in Jesus Christ's name we pray, amen. When the night has come And the land is dark And the moon is the only night we'll see